1: and the OFT
0: podcast proudly bring to you the beat on Notre Dame's beat with Philip Goff. Let's go. So next up, we have Tim O'Malley covering Notre Dame sports for Irish Illustrated as a part of 247 sports. How's it going, Tim?
1: Uh, doing well. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, of course. I, I really appreciate the time and really look forward to taking a little bit of a peek behind the curtain um, on you as a Notre Dame writer. Um, but before we dive in here, where can people find you both on Twitter and online?
1: Uh, Twitter is Tim O'Malley ND. Did not know that uh, when I grabbed that in 2008, 2009, it was going to be very important to have the ND on there for my job. And then uh, uh, obviously irishillustrated.com on 24-7 Sports Network.
0: Awesome. So you're telling me there's there's probably no other O'Malley Notre Dame fans out there? <laughs>
1: Apparently not. <laughs> We're so well That was uh, different, a good differentiator to have accidentally.
0: Yeah. So uh, to kind of really start from the beginning here, a question that I'm always more curious about, especially as uh, national beat writers is, was there a point uh, in your life or what age were you where, um, you know, sports really started to take over your brain?
1: Yeah. Uh, my oldest brothers, I'm on the youngest of seven and um, three of my older brothers love sports, bled football. Um, and my dad loves sports and my mom and sister really liked sports. So there was, it was always in my house. Uh, my dad was a professor at Notre Dame and the medical school on at IU on campus. Um, so I was going to Notre Dame basketball games at a very early age and football games. Once I was old enough to fight for the tickets, I will say they lived in Omaha before moving to South bend. And so my two oldest brothers are Nebraska fans two that, like hard Nebraska fans. So those tickets opened up to me faster because my dad was not going to take Nebraska fans that are teenagers instead of <laughs> his son to a Notre Dame football game. So yeah, at a very young age, I loved Notre Dame uh, football basketball and just kind of loved most, most sports growing up really it was, it was all over my house.
0: And were you playing all the sports as well?
1: Yeah. Basketball, football, and baseball were the ones I stuck to. Um, I did not play much soccer growing up. My kids do like soccer. I uh, think they, they really are more into baseball, softball than anything else. But yeah, there's, there's, I never get, did play youth soccer. I don't know why I don't, it seems like something I would have done, but I was just always home playing basketball. I guess that was what, the hoop in my driveway was enough for an entire summer and, and everything else.
0: Yeah, I have to imagine you're one of the few Midwestern kids who grew up not playing, you know, the youth league soccer.
1: Yeah, no, I've never, never touched it. So I, I enjoy watching it. Okay, I'm not, no Pete Sampson watching soccer, but I do enjoy it nowadays as an adult.
0: That's awesome. So obviously that answers a question if you were a Notre Dame fan growing up, but I'm curious if you have like the earliest memory, both positive or negative around Notre Dame. I
1: remember uh, the Elite Eight. I don't remember the final four that Notre Dame played in. Um, but I, in 78, but I remember the elite eight in 79 and I was a little six-year-old crying and complaining that Magic Johnson was cheating because when he was stealing the ball, he was using his fist and you're not allowed to do that. I have no idea if he's actually using his fist, but that's what I use as the reason for a loss. So that's my first memory of basketball and football. I think I, I mean, I knew of Herschel Walker when I knew about three people in the world. So Herschel Walker, when I guess losing to George is my first memory, but I can't really place that being the thing, uh, my first ticket to my late father's credit that I have is a 1981 USC game. I can't, am- I don't remember that game, so I feel bad if he made that my first game. 82 uh, is re- when I remember going to uh, football games. So I grew up on Jerry Faust. That's uh, that somehow I saved. <laughs>
0: um, and that, that's that's interesting. And when, when you obviously were sports were a, a massive, massive part of your life as a you know as a kid or high school or even a, approaching your time at Notre Dame. Were any particular, you know, publications or sources or any writers that you remember growing up, like reading or following?
1: Yeah, actually, I talked about this the last few years with Alan Wasilewski, um at Notre Dame, who's um, transitioning back to football from from basketball. Uh, we used we went to high school together and loved, loved The National when it came out. It was kind of like uh, Frank DeFord's offshoot after leaving Sports Illustrated, a uh, daily newspaper covering sports with um just fantastic writing. And obviously USA Today was the, uh, was kind of the go-to grab for all kids my age, 50 cents to get that sports section. But the National was huge. And then I had Sports Illustrated subscription. I think it's 84, because I can still picture, I believe I have it actually, that Goose Gossage is on the cover. So 1984 was uh, my Sports Illustrated subscription. And as a 49er fan, my dad got me 49ers report and it would come Uh, after the preview would come after the games were played (laughs) in the mailing from California but I I still loved it anyway.
0: No I I have fond memories as a as a kid of just waiting each week for those uh, you know Sports Illustrated articles and and magazines to come out and you know I remember even flipping to the back you know each time and and just waiting for the Rick Riley articles and that that was the first form of I think as, a, as like a, you know, eight, nine-year-old of more journalism, that wasn't pictures. So I was like, wow, here's a story that's being told.
1: I've gotten rid of a lot of my old Sports Illustrated, but not the oldest ones. So it's funny to kind of track when Rick Riley took over. That used to be called the 19th hole. It was just kind of a random story back there. Then there were some guest writers coming in. I think Rick Talander on occasion had a column. He was writing for them, but occasion had a column back there. But Rick Riley's really the first one that, you know, that became his page. And I think that was... That was cool to see somebody like own that page. So even when started working for newspapers and magazines out of college, it was great to have a column like you own that page. And he was the first one I can recall really doing that. I'm sure he's not the first, but the first I recall.
0: Yeah. And even, you know, I haven't had as, as much exposure experience, but that was that was really for me the first really person who I looked forward to reading something new and different each week and so for me that was such a such kind of a unique perspective and you know I'm curious of these influences you know obviously you were you ended up going to Notre Dame did first off did you have really a choice or any of your options or was that kind of signed sealed and delivered from I boat?
1: really wanted to go to Notre Dame um my sister did go to Notre Dame my other brothers went to IU IUSB you now in Ohio State actually my brother my late brother John uh Went to journalism school at Ohio State. He worked with Tim Priester um, quite a bit um, when Tim was with Blue and Gold back in the 80s. John was at the Hammond Times, and he worked with Eric Hansen at the Times, too, at the South Bend Tribune, actually. Um, so Notre Dame was pretty much all or nothing for me. Um, I actually – I would have – the the Midwest kid in me was always intrigued by UCLA also, mm-hmm. but, uh, I, I considered that actually post-graduation, but I did not. Instead, I went into my career uh, relatively soon after well, my career was working for the St. Joe newspaper Herald Palladium. So it wasn't really a career yet. I was covering sports for the uh, a local newspaper nearby, but I got to live on the lake. So that was fun. Yeah. Not, not the type of house you picture on the lake, of course, renting, <laughs> but it was uh, it was still on the lake.
0: Yeah, not quite the Pacific Ocean, but well, you know, South Bend has its, <laughs> has its farm. Um when you when you were heading into Notre Dame, do you, were you anticipating covering sports or covering journalism, or what was the approach there?
1: Yeah, as an English major, um, I wanted to be a sports writer. I did not go right into it after, um, and despite that job at the Herald Palladium, I then moved to Atlanta um, to be an editor and writer. The position was called editor, it was really writing mostly, uh, for Sporting Goods Trade Magazine. We had 10 magazines, and so I kind of got into the publishing business with that, learning the ropes. I remember I thought of this today. I don't know why. It had nothing to do with this interview. I thought of this today. In 1999, we were starting to put our monthly magazine stories on the internet. And I remember thinking, they'd be like, all right, got to make make sure you put that on our webpage. And I thought to myself, no one's going to see it on the webpage anyway. Why am I doing this right now? (laughs) How ridiculous that sounds (laughs) 23 years later that you think your magazine you're mailing out to subscribers is going to be more widely read than what you can put on the internet. But that's how I felt that long ago.
0: Yeah, that's that is absolutely a wild thought. Do any of those uh, super early publications still live online today?
1: Uh, they might. It was Sporting Goods Dealer. We did win uh, a few awards for a what we did was we tied in the four major sports with um, instead of writing a sporting goods story around them, we wrote a sports a historical perspective of that sport with the sporting goods that evolves. And I remember we were very proud of winning that award in 2000 down in Georgia. Um, I actually do still have a couple of those. Uh, the pullout was what won the award. And it was fun writing because, you know, writing about products really wasn't all that fun. That was, more of a, that was more of a job where you work with other people that love sports and you talk about football all day while you write about sporting goods. And, and of course, there's a lot of fun. Hey, you go to a trade show as a writer, people like to buy you stuff. So that was, that was a fun little perk of my job as well.
0: Yeah, not a not a bad gig there. Um, so coming from back from Atlanta, how did you end up back in South Bend and, and covering Notre Dame then?
1: Yeah, my family still lived, or my parents still lived here. Uh, my fiance was it, my wife now, fiance then is from um, Valparaiso, so her parents were in Valparaiso nearby. She was finishing residency at Emory and had a few options. I wanted to stay in Atlanta. She wanted to leave Atlanta, so she said, name a couple places. And again, going back, I was like, well, I always kind of wanted to be out, and maybe I'd start going to grad school as an older person at UCLA. I did say that again, actually, but she was was wise. We did not move to Los Angeles, (laughs) Um, but uh, South Bend was one of the places, and I knew I could then start looking for jobs here. And I I started – I can't – actually, this is interesting. I guess I did not have an in yet with Blue and Gold. Um, Shortly after moving here, I started stringing for Blue and Gold and met Loose Emoji, um, that was Todd Burledge, John Hainsworth, and Lou oji actually. And uh, but no, I, I now that I think about it, I lived here a whole year without um, covering Notre Dame football at all in any form. I did a little basketball for Blue and Gold to start, and I was actually for the l- previous few years writing um, for FantasyGuru.com, which is still out there. John Hanson uh, now he has his own he has his own channel on Sirius, and no, I, was no, he he hired, I was the guy he I was the guy he hired to uh, write about. Defensive players. So I would rank and list defensive players every year, every month, and every game for uh, for that website. So I was really into the NFL then, and I have not touched a fantasy sport since then because I was oversaturated by having to do
0: it every day. So you don't do you don't do any fantasy? I, I don't. I don't
1: pay. I, I find my Notre Dame, my job with Notre Dame, covering Notre Dame makes it so I love watching the NFL still. I like the NBA playoffs. I like Major League Baseball playoffs. I cannot focus on other things besides Notre Dame football and basketball. Um, I don't know how Tim Priester, well, I know how Tim Priester focuses on baseball so much. He played baseball for Notre Dame. So it's still a labor of love for him, but I, I feel like every day of my life is covering Notre Dame football. And I like to sit back and watch games other than that. So I, I don't know that I have been in fantasy leagues, but I, then I don't, I forget to put my lineup in and I hate being that guy. Cause I know what that guy was like when I was running those things. So I ran a football league from like 1989 to 2008. And it coincides with me working, covering Notre Dame. I stopped. It was just like, so we had 19 years of NFL fantasy football back then. That was pretty fun for me and my friends.
0: That is, I'd say that's, that's super early on the fantasy game and probably especially you writing about it had probably a little bit of an edge.
1: Yeah, it was fun. We did newsletters and stuff. And all of a sudden I was just like, I'm done. I'm out. Everybody's still mad at me for like 13 years. (laughs) I dissolved a league that was going for 19 years because I had a new job. and didn't feel like doing it anymore. So I guess it, I guess that is kind of a jerk move, but I didn't think of it that way at the time, but. I apologize to all those people if they hear.
0: Yeah, and I know, and I know they're all listening right now. So, <laughs> um, so uh, kind of transitioning over to your your time here at Irish Illustrated. So, uh, you know, personally, one of my one of my favorite reads each week is actually your your Monday musings. And you know, what I'm kind of curious about here is is what your creative process going into it each week looks like. Especially the ability to creatively, you know, embed quotes and, and and things from your kids in there. It's it's always just fascinated me how you come up with something new and fresh each week with that.
1: Yeah, it was. I think it's the first one I ever did was because Pete, Tim, and I were still working together. It was my first year with Irish Illustrated, and we would go to practice, and there's three of us. I'm like, why are there three of us? We're, we're two of us gonna write about a defensive practice report? So. One did offense, one did defense, and I was like, I will follow up tomorrow with just some thoughts on what I saw without being specific, and that was the first musings was a, was a practice column, and then all of a sudden I went with another one on a Monday, and um, I don't know why I came up with nine, uh, Jack Freeman still says, so you, you kind of pigeon, this is like five years ago, I was like, you pigeon to hold yourself with this nine, now you have to come up with nine thoughts every week, it's like, ah, that can't be that hard find out when you write 51 or 52 of those a year sometimes (laughs) the nine pots in June yeah I was very happy about the baseball run it's nice to have the baseball run Dante Moore helps CJ Carr helps some new ideas of course in the offseason but yeah and for the kids I don't know why I started I just think Declan my middle child just started saying funny things and some of them were about sports when he was three or four and then a lot of them are not about sports um and people seem to like it I know there's probably a a small percentage that hate that part i have gotten people that have uh sent me messages like uh we you know never talk about your kids no one cares whatever and i was like well more people seem to like it than don't um so i think a lot more people like it than don't so that that's my highlight uh i know a lot of people only read that i'm not sure if i should be insulted or not but they only read number five that is about the fan of the kids <laughs> so they just they, it's kind of like fast forwarding to the prediction of a game score and not reading the entire preview that you put all the work in someone just reads number five and moves on and then Ask me what I think about Tyler Buckner. Like it's all there. Just read number four. And, uh, <laughs> no, yeah, I, that's my favorite one to write as well. And uh, I take about one week off a year in July on vacation. I got that coming up here pretty soon.
0: No, I, and I think I, I speak for most people here outside of those, you know, couple angry commenters um, <laughs> that it is, it's nice. And I think what it does is it really humanizes you and it, it takes a kind of the, just the I'm a football writer aspect out of it because there's clearly you know, so much more going on in your lives than just Notre Dame football, despite what a lot of your readers would anticipate, that that's the only cognitive thought that you have on a daily basis.
1: Yeah, and I get to kind of commiserate with Pete has kids uh, when we do our podcasts all together. He has kids that are, so I want to get this right, sixth grade and fourth, going into seventh and fifth, because mine are going to sixth and fourth. And so, they kind of went through the, some of the same stuff and playing youth sports is fun. And of course, Tim Priester's son, Eric, he coached him. If, if anybody listened to the podcast this week, he talked about that memory of coaching him. And I knew Eric uh, when he was working for the observer. So I think we'd all kind of laugh at youth sports and the fun of it and the absurdity of it. And, you know, someone coming up to me and we got, You win or lose 11 to one in a softball game and the little girl asks you if you won or lost. You're like, I mean, seriously, do you really not know if we won or lost? It was 11 to one for crying out loud. But I I think that's the fun part about youth sports is it's still fun. uh, No matter how serious some some parents get, they should not. Kids get serious, but it really is just for uh, kind of something we can most of us can relate to either playing it or having kids around it.
0: Yeah. And, and it's, you know, you've obviously had, you know, a, a lot of fun coaching over the past few years with different kids. Do you, is there any, uh, you know, modern college football coach that you try to model your, your coaching career after? Uh, modern college football coach. Would be like it, doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be, I guess it can be any, any coach of any sport, I guess, since you're multi sport. Yeah.
1: yeah. You know, that's, that's a tough question. I think uh, they're, they're young enough where, I am very, I very much do want to win these games. However, I know that that is not the most important thing. Um, I'm up front with all the parents that look at these are rec leagues. We are going to play everybody where they want to play. We're all going to give it a shot. Then I always joke, joke, even though I'm not joking. Except the tournament where the lineup belongs to me, and no one's going to complain because they've all played for ten games wherever they want. So I, I guess I would be the fairest coach in the world for the regular season. And then all of a sudden everything flips. And when people ask me things I'm like, "Nope." go right field get out of there so I uh <laughs> that's what the competitor comes out of me um who would be a good coach in comparison for that that's uh maybe during the regular season I'm Jerry Faust and I'll take Lou Holtz during the uh during the playoffs how's that <laughs> we give away a lot of games by pitting kid kids that can't catch at first base in these rec leagues but uh it's okay
0: yeah say so come come playoff time it's all business so that's it's right, all right it's
1: all business yeah
0: um, and so, you know, to put it lightly, South Bend is, is obviously a Notre Dame town. Um, and at least in, you know, in, in my words, you're, you, you are, and I think that, you know, the Irish Illustrated crew and some others are, you know, a bit of local celebrities around town. And, you know, what I'm curious about is do you ever get, you know, stopped around South Bend or people asking you for scoops or insights?
1: Yeah, we do get that a lot. You know, what's an interesting, really interesting thing is the most of the time that it happens is traveling. To Notre Dame games which makes sense but you're the it happens every time I'm in an airport traveling to Notre Dame game on the way there and on the way back but that's because they're Notre Dame fans traveling of course mm-hmm. I've, I've kind of narrowed it down obviously outside stadiums Notre Dame and road games that happens a lot around here I think it just happens more because Priester and I do the um, pregame on WNDU which is the local tv mm-hmm. uh so when local tv people watch you they find out what your job is. Like a lot of people in, in at Harris park where I coached a lot of people were like, we had no idea. That's what you did. And all of a sudden I was like, well, I don't really work for WNDU, but I'm on the pregame show. So a lot of people find out I cover sports from that. Um, so yeah, it does happen. It's always flattering. It's funny. My wife laughs when it happens. She's like, why would anybody recognize you? <laughs> it was like, I don't know. I guess a lot of people watch TV. That's part of it. But the funny thing happened, we're on our 10 year anniversary. You're going to appreciate this in St. Lucia first day there and someone yelled, Tim O'Malley and my wife was actually kind of mad. I think that happened. <laughs> This has nothing to do with Notre Dame football travel. <laughs> so <laughs> that was that was my shining moment. For someone recognizing me, was in St. Lucia on our ten year anniversary.
0: Yeah, Tim O'Malley, global recognizable.
1: <laughs> I have a feeling I, he is actually full disclosure an Irish Illustrated subscriber, but that, i would not tell my wife that. She just thinks it was somebody random that saw me on TV. So yeah.
0: just hey, you know what, it's, it's South Bend, you know the the South Bend Airways might reach down there, so yeah. it could be it could be like WGN in the you know in the '90s around. i sure time. that
1: Georgia Tech basketball preview, reach down to St. Luke, <laughs> okay. yeah, maybe,
0: maybe. Awesome. Um, a, a quick thing here. So if you were to cover like any college football team besides Notre Dame, who would you want it to be? Um,
1: that's a great, I would need tradition involved because I wouldn't say I've ever gotten bored covering Notre Dame, but like, let's, let's transition to Notre Dame basketball because some games don't matter because it's the regular season. And, uh, if they're playing Delaware state. It's not that big of a deal. I mean, until you get into league play. So I would have to be a tradition rich team. Um, Alabama is such an easy answer. I, you know, I would love to cover, let's, let's remove the national title. I would love to cover Georgia because there's enough angst with that fan base too, that, uh, although I might get annoyed (laughs) that, uh, with the sec all the time, I live in the sec area for 10 years. So I think there's enough angst with that fan base, but they're good and there's tradition that it would be enjoyable. Um, it would not be Ohio state or Michigan. I can say that for a fact. Uh, and I wouldn't want to cover somewhere where it's not as important like Stanford and Northwestern. So I don't want to make it a, you know, I'm not trying to make a a college crack here or anything like that. I, um, so I guess we'll just keep defaulting and go to Arizona state. I'll live in Tempe and cover the, be, that, that's my, that's my answer, but yeah, somewhere nice weather and it, where it really matters to them.
0: Yeah, your, um, your consistent comments on the podcast about your excitement for the end of the year USC games are making yeah. more and more sense as we keep talking.
1: Yes. Yeah. That's, I've had a lot of winters here, man. <laughs> but <laughs> had a lot of winters in South Devon. No, I do. I do enjoy that trip and I've already booked that flight. So nice. um, <laughs> first one every year.
0: Obviously NIL is is quite the hot topic and I'm not going to dive into the semantics of it or the you know ethics of it at all. But what I am curious about is if 18 year old Tim O'Malley was a five-star quarterback recruit, what NIL deal are you looking to sign? Yeah. And
1: that's a big deal because I um, I'm glad Notre Dame is stepping up to this. Um, I wish that it didn't start off everywhere in the country with just money being handed out for becoming a recruiter. I, that's, I, I mean, you can't even tell you unintended consequences. It was just so poorly managed after all the time they had to do it. But my NAIL deal, uh, it'd be hard to go to Notre Dame because they're not quite as public about it, but it would definitely have something to do with food. Probably Well, 18 year old Tim O'Malley. I guess it would be, maybe I'd be endorsing Mexican restaurants and Mexican things like tacos and stuff. That was my expertise back then. I guess 21 year old Tim O'Malley evolved a little bit into more of a cook. 21 um, year old Tim O'Malley probably would have, gone to Anheuser-Busch for his NIL deal if that would be allowed as well um that's a that's a great question and I sadly probably would have had a college choice swayed by it because how could you not right I mean 18 year old B in South Bend if I was a good enough quarterback to go to Notre Dame it's hard to say no but what if what if Notre Dame's behind the times in that then there's there's are there are other options out there it's I think athletes deserve what they can get but obviously this is not exactly how we planned on going about it.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's a weird, probably I'm, I'm guessing a, a few year stretch here where a lot of yeah. players are getting paid, you know, significantly. And I'm really curious to, to get a little serious here, a little curious to see, you know, what happens when, you know, someone who signed a multimillion dollar deal doesn't play at all. And they're just yeah. a, oh, a yeah. best of a player. Like is what are going to be the unintended consequences? Is there going to be a, you know, a blowback for that? It's just, it's going to be a really interesting You know, one, three, five, and 10 year stretch here.
1: I have often said, like, I want to name, I've said names on the podcast before, so I'm not going to say a former player's name, but Brady Quinn should not get the same that a third string defensive tackle gets at Notre Dame. Like the third string defensive tackle that says we deserve to be paid third-string quarterback. I'll, I'll, let's leave poor defensive tackles out of it for once. The third-string <laughs> quarterback that says we deserve to be paid does not deserve to be paid for his contributions to Notre Dame the way Brady Quinn does because that jersey sells because of Brady Quinn. It's it's Chris Weber at Notre Dame is, or at Michigan is my favorite story when Chris Weber said, my jersey's hanging there with my name on it and I can't buy it. Of course, we found out later he could have bought it. But in theory, he couldn't buy it. I, I, I've always found that crazy for student-athletes, but I also don't think that 85 football players deserve to be paid the way Brady Quinn would play or deserve to get their name, image, and likeness guarantees because then you're leaving out the other sports as well, and you're trying to tell me that there's not six soccer players on Notre Dame's women's team that deserve it more than the third-string defensive tackle or the third-string. It, it's a very murky area, and when do you get to the point where they're employees and you cut them? Yeah. That, that that's what I've always found to be really unseemly is we're paying you, you're not performing, so we're gonna take away your money. And also the name yeah. doesn't publicly take away a scholarship, but at some point they're not gonna want to be giving scholarships to some of the don't perform that they've already given money to.
0: No, definitely. And I think I think for me, my my first real kind of look into wanting NIL to be a thing, but just assuming that somebody else would just figure it out appropriately. which, which <laughs> right. it's. Um, I remember I was reading a story, I want to say in like 2015 or 16 on ESPN, that was about Todd Gurley being suspended yeah, for, yeah. you know, getting paid to sign autographs. And then on the right side of that article, they were advertising for number three Georgia for jerseys on like Nike.com. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, this is just awful. That's the
1: Chris Webber thing, but only, only 10 years later, that is similar to that. I mean, it's, it's, it was, I, you make a great point when you say somebody should have figured it out. I don't think you're wrong. Someone should have been able to figure this out ahead of what we've done because there should have been more effort put into it. It was almost like hiding a, the Homer Simpson, hide under a bunch of coats and <laughs> the problem goes away. And all of a sudden the problem's out.
0: Yeah, no, it's, and it's, it's an interesting and evolving discussion that, you know, I think this is, you know, we've seen recruiting play out in a, just an extremely unique way, but, um, but don't want don't want don't want to reflect too much time on that. Cause I know we're, we're coming towards the end here. So And a question that I'm I'm really curious about, and I've asked a couple others of this question and provided some pretty interesting answers is if you could have any unfiltered off the record discussion with any, you know, player, coach, or or topic around Notre Dame football, you know, what would that be?
1: Yeah, we've, we've kind of considered this a few times on the podcast and a lot of people go kind of uh, micro and like the old, what happened at Michigan thing (laughs) with Brian Kelly in in, in 2019. I would definitely go more broad than that. I think, In recent years, I would like to talk to Manti Teo about when he found out that he had been catfished, how that went for what we're looking at, about a month, right? I don't want to mess up the dates here, but I think it was about a month of his life, and it was a very important month of his life. Um, I'd like to talk to Brian Kelly or Jack Swarbrick about when they realized that they had a cheating scandal on their hands that was going to get bigger than – or it was going to be made bigger than it was um, Mm – By reporting it, they did the right thing, and then we realized by reporting it, they did the absolutely wrong thing, which is another <laughs> incredibly stupid thing about the NCA. I, I, I will forever jump on things Notre Dame does poorly. They handled that perfectly, and they should not recognize the NCA's punishment.
0: Yeah. No, it's just absolutely
1: I, ridiculous, and I don't want me to go in the weeds here, but that is something I would, I would like to talk to Kelly and Swarberg about what – I guess Kelly didn't really make this decision, but what went into the decision? Did you have any idea it was going to go so haywire when you – self-reported this. Um, but the tail thing was so interesting to me. Um, I cannot imagine what he was going through for one month as a good kid. Um, I, this is, I shouldn't say this. I thought when I talked to him after the Michigan state game and he said my friend, and then the story started coming out where they said like girlfriend, love of his life and all that. I was like, I, he'd say my friend to me and say this to these people. And then I never thought of it again until that one day I came back from a run and had 47 texts about Manti Teo and I had no idea what anybody was talking about. Yeah. it's I was all uh... with Linda Cohn that night. That was my, <laughs> that was the strangest thing. Yeah. I, I, I was like, well, I don't know as much as anybody else does because <laughs> I just found out about this myself not to throw myself out there for not knowing about this, but it was pretty crazy.
0: Yeah. And I'm, I'm not going to try to give myself too much credit here, but uh, my best friend at the time um played for Notre Dame um, and he had, Kind of sent me a text i was actually um i think i was up in minnesota about both different incidents and i had talked to him about both of those and i was like i was pretty convinced at least with the man one i thought that he was just messing with me yeah and then he's like obviously don't say anything but this is about to get really 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 bad and i was like no it's not going to be that bad <laughs> <laughs> and was i very wrong
1: yeah yeah that it, it's that was a strange period of time for notre dame that that was quite an off season. There are a few other things that happened that off season that are less publicized, but we all remember if you start listing things from the 2013 off season, I mean, I guess starting with the day after the game when you're flying home and going to the pool at your uh, resort and you find out Brian Kelly's landing in Philadelphia, <laughs> that, was, that was a strange way to end the Alabama game.
0: Yeah, no, you guys had quite a lot to write about there in a short period of time. Um, and um, kind of the, just the last thing here, is there is there anything that, you know, you want to leave the audience here with today or anything that would, you know, you want the audience to know um, about Tim O'Malley?
1: Yeah, we uh, we want to have fun too. And we, I, I try to be as respectful as I can. Um, I don't throw random thoughts out there without having a reason to say it. So I very rarely get in fights on Twitter. Don't approach me for a fight on Twitter because I'm not going to engage. <laughs> it's one thing I love. I love hearing from fans um, we can have different, we can be disagree on everything without being disagreeable. That's something that I think we really need to learn. We have learned on message boards. I think that's more of a community for most people. Be nice. We can learn it on Twitter. Um, I like to enjoy sports just as much as everybody else, every other uh, woman and man that watches them together. And uh, we can't take them so seriously. It is supposed to be fun.
0: Awesome. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a great sentiment to leave it with. And I hope, I hope some people heed to that because, you know, the amount of, you know, potential fights that ND fan one, nine, six, four, three, two, one, um, <laughs> probably attack you with. Hopefully will decrease because of that.
1: I disagree with, I disagree with a couple of colleagues vehemently on many things and we are friends. So I think that's, that's one way of looking at it. I think we can, if we don't even know each other. We should all be able to, to agree on some things, right. Or agree to disagree more likely.
0: Awesome. Well, um, Tim, I just want to say uh, thank you again. This is this has been great. You've been gracious with both your time and your stories. And just to close out here again, where can people find you?
1: Uh, Tim O'Malley, ND on Twitter, and of course, Irish Illustrated on the 24-7 Sports Network. And Thanks a lot for having me on. I enjoyed it.
0: Awesome. Great. Thanks so much, Tim. Thank you.